Welcome to the Volraf Feed. Hey, this is where we talk about anything and everything associated to the very broad and diverse world of commercial food service. I'm your host, Rich Rupp, product trainer and chef at the Volrath Company. And once again, joining me today is our producer, Justin Pearson. Hey, Rich. Justin. How the heck are you doing today? I'm doing well, and yourself? No, I really can't complain. It's been really quite nice this past week. Yeah, not too bad, right? Except for the maybe a little weather around our region here lately. It's been a little below normal, but... A little bit, a little bit. But, you know, we really had an outstanding weekend. It was absolutely fabulous. Right, right. Got out and did some uh, yard work, which is my life. I had a funny thing happen to me. I I was out in front, and uh, a lady had walked by. She walks by every day, and she said, Oh, I just love walking by. I love your yard. She goes, Is it therapeutic for you to, to do this? And I looked at her and I thought for a moment, should I tell her, like, yes, it is? No, I'm just going to be honest. I said, no. I said, it's just a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> and she kind of looked at me funny. She goes, well, I enjoy it. I said, well, thank you very much. And yeah, it just, well. <laughs> she had this expectation of like, it's a labor of love. Like, I just enjoy it that much. But no, it's just a lot of work. Uh, you know, honesty is the best policy. Yeah. I have a similar sentiment uh, around mowing the lawn. For some people, it's very therapeutic, but for, for me, it's just, just work. And I think it goes back to being a kid. And as soon as I was able to walk, uh, my dad put me behind the mower and said, have at it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. But that back then, though, it was, you know, you wanted to do it, right? Let me try. I want to, I want to push the mower. Oh, yeah. It was, it, was like, it was a rite of passage. It felt like a man. Right. Eight years old, behind the mower, nodding <laughs> to the neighbors. And then... <laughs> but anymore... I really just can't bring myself to farm out the job to somebody else. I've just gotten too particular about how, how I like it. You know, like I'd be too critical that the lines weren't how I liked them or they didn't overlap just enough, uh, you well, know, so it would just cause me more stress than if I just had done it myself. Uh-huh. There is some satisfaction when you step back and look, look back at the lawn after it's freshly cut, like nice, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Got to agree yeah, with you there. Absolutely. Hey, I also am, uh, excited here, um, about our show today. We have a very cool guest with us today, Lisa Ludwinski. And she is the chef and founder of a really super neat bakery in downtown Detroit called Sister Pie. Yeah, she's done some really great things uh, with her business and for her community and just all around fantastic things. I'm really excited to talk with her more about what she's got going on. And her story is a really fun story to, uh, to learn and to read. Uh, she's got a cookbook out and I found myself reading the front of the cookbook. Like it was a, like it was a novel. It was interesting. It was fun. You, you really get a sense of her personality. I think I haven't spoken to her yet, but I think, uh, just by reading her book, it was pretty cool. And it'd be, I think it'd be a fun place to work. Yeah. You really get the sense there's a lot of positive energy going on there. It, it's, it sounds like they get a, they have a good time. They, they dance like part of her daily routine is they, they dance. And if you watch her, uh, show, she had a, uh, a show on YouTube for a while. The show is called Funny Side Up on YouTube. If you watch it, it's really kind of entertaining and fun. I, I it was, I was almost as sad to see that uh, she hadn't continued it for for longer because it was fun to watch. I believe a lot of businesses could really benefit from incorporating some form of dance or uh, activity, something to allow you to move around a bit. You know, don't force it. You want it to be natural and fun, but you know, allow yeah, for it. Yeah, a little break from the day, right? That's what she says. I think she said it just. If you're getting stressed, it was just an opportunity to kind of like cut loose for a second and and relieve a little bit of tension. So something for all of us to learn, right? 
Yeah, I, I've always been impressed with the amount of training that goes into becoming a dancer. And me personally, I, I've, I've been a more of a liquid encouragement dancer. So <laughs> what better way, though, to, to improve upon a skill set than to practice? You know, and what better place than work? <laughs> what I liked, uh, if you watch like people that can dance well, it's 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 impressive, right? I mean, think about the old Fred Astaire. You ever watch Fred Astaire movies and watch him? Oh, the dude was so light on his feet. Oh man, he just floated. It was it was impressive. But that's that takes practice. It didn't come the first day. So you and I, I think, still have hope. Eh. Well, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> so what do you think of when you? I was thinking about this show and thinking, okay, Sister Pie. I guess it's pies. They do other things there as well. It's breakfast and lunch and other pastries. But Sister Pie mm-hmm. leads you to thinking about pies. And then you just right, think about right. pies. And what do you think about when you're thinking of? Hmm. It's, what what defines it to be a pie? I suppose the determining factor there that constitutes pie would probably be the crust. Whether it's open or closed is probably open to interpretation, but you got a crust and you fill it with a bunch of stuff, you know, apples, pecans, chicken, whatever. <laughs> whatever you throw in there, if it has crust, it's a pie. Exactly right. So I think as I did a little research, to me that you're I think you're right. I think the the key to something being called a pie is it has a pastry dough shell to it. That That is pie. And then from there, you're right. Meat pies, chicken pot pie, um, beef meat pies, that kind of all just comes from there. But I think in today's world, when I think of pie, there's a handful of them I think of. Mm-hmm. But I think she's, you know, if uh, you look at her business again, she's got a ton of, of pies and, and different things there. So it's just the amount of creativity you can put these different ingredients, flavors, textures maybe together into these different pies. Right. And look at pizza and, and the transformation that's gone through. Hey, there you go. You know, in this country over the years, people have thrown everything on a pizza and you got away from those standard basic toppings and really became something completely new. And I suppose the same thing's true for pie, where you have this melding of all these different cultures and flavors, and people are figuring out that you can put all sorts of different things into a pie and make it amazing. It really is just like a blank canvas, and you're only limited by your own creativity. So I I, I would tend to think that there are thousands and thousands of delicious flavor combinations out there yet to be discovered. So I'm going to beat you to the punch on this one. Normally, you'd hit me on this question, and I'd be caught off guard. So I'm going to throw it out there first. Oh yeah, waiting with bated breath here. I know, and you know what you know what my question is going to be, don't oh, you? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Lay it on me, man. Favorite pie? Yeah. Hmm. What is it? Well, uh, it usually depends on the t- the time of year and what mood I'm in. But if I was given an ultimatum where I could only choose one pie for the rest of my life, it would probably come down to pecan. I just absolutely love pecan pie. Mm-hmm. With that being said, there is a very close second, and my mother, only around Thanksgiving, she makes a sour cream and raisin pie, which normally I'm like, ew, raisins, ugh, hard pass on that, but she does something to it that's absolutely magical, and I could crush a whole pie easily, but I've tried to make it in the past, and it just never really came out the same, but that really is a difficult question, because who doesn't love pie? Because if you like any particular thing in the universe, throw it in a pie, and it's just good. Nope, I'm with you. I'm with you. Now, now I kind of wish I would have got to go first because you stole all my answers. Ha! <laughs> Backfire. <laughs> <laughs> pecan, number one, absolutely. Yeah, I inherited a sweet tooth from my mother, and uh, boy, I love pecan pie. Mm-hmm. Now you say, I didn't catch how you say it. Is it pecan or pecan? 
pecans. I'm a pecan guy. Pecan, absolutely. I yep. don't have anything against anybody that says pecan, you know. I mm-hmm. guess tomato, tomato there, so. Okay, right. As long as it tastes good, I really don't care what you call it. Yep, right. I agree on that 100% right there. So when we think about, uh, we talked about the base, right, the, the crust being the most important part. Yep. So you've heard this trend now about vodka, right? Right. Have you right. heard that trend? I, I have, but I really can't tell you what is the thought process behind it. See, I I didn't do much research into it either. I heard about people using vodka and, and crusts and thought, well, maybe it's something to do with the way the alcohol evaporates out differently than water at a lower temperature. And I had all kinds of theories. So I did a little looking, and actually it turns out that it's about the gluten in the flour. It always comes back to the gluten. The vodka, normally the gluten has the water that um, hydrates it, and then that forms this gluten bond, but it can't do it with alcohol. Huh, really? So if you can substitute up to 50% of the liquid in your crust of the water, normally would be water, 50% of that with an 80-proof alcohol, the alcohol prevents the gluten from forming, and therefore you get a more tender crust. Huh, that is really interesting. I wonder who came up with that one. Somebody who, I, yeah, I don't know. They they thought this, I, maybe it came up with people that, um, you know, like if you think about certain pies, they would go like our pecan pie, for example. Mm-hmm. I could see using some bourbon in a crust there. Oh, right? yeah. Get a barrel-aged right? pie there. Yeah. Exactly. So maybe that's kind of where it came from. Like somebody tried putting in another additional flavor note into a pie and they discovered that, wait a minute, it actually help make it more tender. Yeah, or maybe it was an accidental discovery by a chef that was half in the bag grabbing the vodka bottle instead of water. <laughs> Spilled <laughs> <You know>? his <laughs> bourbon. Whoops, uh, one for me, one for the pie. <laughs> That's happened before too, I'm sure, right? Well, some of the best creations in our world came from uh, mistakes. So then, uh, you know, and, and what about pie day then, right? So all these things about pies, that if you think about pie, all, all of a sudden you start digging into it and you, you come up with all these different, Mm-hmm. Things we can talk about here, which one of them is Pi Day, right? Yeah, March right, right. 14th. And in my pie research, I came across a little town in New Mexico called Pie Town. No way. Yeah, apparently it started in the 1920s, and they become well-known for their outstanding pies. People travel from all over the world to partake in it. I believe they have a pie celebration uh, in September. And maybe 200 or so people in the town, but... Definitely a pie bucket list thing to do for the hardcore pie enthusiasts out there. <laughs> We're going to need a lot of time to go on all our field trips, I think. <laughs> well, maybe we should consider taking the show on the road. There we go. All right, Justin. Well, I think it's uh, time to bring on our guest today. And I'm super excited about this one. I told you, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And I'm very interested to hear uh, Lisa's story as far as how she started her business and just the the drive and the passion that she has and what she's doing there. I think it's all fantastic. Uh, Her just unique staff she's got and um, uh, just a lot of cool things coming up here. So I'm very excited for that. So uh, I'd like to introduce everyone here to Lisa Ludwinski from Sister Pie. Lisa, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? We're doing all right. Thanks. Thanks again for joining us here today. If you had uh, just a second, could you kind of just start out telling us a little bit about, you know, how you got into the whole um, Sister Pie. I mean, you're, you're growing up. I, I did a little reading of yours. I, I went online and, and found your cookbook, and I must say I found it um, really a good read. I mean, the front of your book was pretty cool. Oh, thanks. 
Um, yeah, I, I really wanted to include the whole story. <laughs> um, I think telling a story about starting a business was one of the reasons I wanted to even do it. <laughs> I probably attribute that to my theater background. When I was growing up, I always loved performing, whether it was writing plays for my neighbors to star in or being a dancer and then really settling into theater in high school and college. And so that's kind of where I anticipated my career path going. And so I moved to New York City after graduating from Kalamazoo College, and I wanted to be a director. So I you know, started working a handful of jobs to pay rent and wasn't really trying too hard at the directing thing. I think what's funny is you know, when you move to New York or LA to be an actor, at least you can try to go on auditions. But when you're a director, you really have to kind of just make it happen. And I wasn't really ready for that, especially when I was just kind of learning how to survive on my own. But what I did have to do a lot was cook for myself. Mm -hmm. And so I got really interested in cooking. And I, you know, it was right around the time when food lo food blogs, it was right around the time when food blogs became really popular. And so I would spend any time when I wasn't at work kind of looking through those and obsessing over it and kind of wishing and wishing that I was in the kitchen more often. And so I actually started doing a cooking show myself, sort of my approach to a blog, technically a vlog. Right. And it was called Funny Side Up. And I would um, teach myself or rather, rather, I would rather attempt a recipe every week and kind of film it without, you know, I would just go for it. I wasn't perfect at these recipes at all. In fact, that was part of, I think, the the entertainment of it was that I was doing these things for the first time. So anyway. Well, you're 100% right. We watched some of those and they're awesome. <laughs> oh, but, <and> I was, <laughs> No, we were talking about it. And I said, you know, what's so great about them is it was just you, like you just described. You were just going to give it a try, and I, I, I really liked your, um, the one you did with your friend that she came over with the fruits and things. You could just tell it was just like she brought this oh, stuff wow, over, and it, yeah. was, it was cool. It was really neat. Yeah. For me, it was like the perfect blend of, you know, passion for theater and performing and videos and stuff, meeting my curiosity for food. And I'm so grateful that I was able to do that and... Um, and that it was during this time in our culture where vlogging was a thing. And it just, it really worked for me. And I had just a totally great time doing it. And I think that kind of led me to the next step, which was working in a professional kitchen. Uh, so yeah, I started working at Momofuku Milk Bar. And I started behind the counter and then kind of moved my way into the kitchen. And it was a great opportunity to learn from a relatively new business. Um, so not only learning how to bake and, and cook a lot more than I had done ever before and, and to do it really in this much larger scale than I was used to, I kind of got to see these business decisions being made in front of me and, and sort of learned what I thought kind of resonated with me and, and what didn't really feel as right or as kind of in line with with what I would want my business to be. And that's really, I think, when I started to think about starting my own. Did you go through any formal culinary training or was it all a skill set that you picked up on the job and on the fly as you went along? 
Yeah, I didn't have any professional culinary training. Um, it was just like me baking and cooking at home a little bit and then learning most of my professional skills from that one experience. I, uh, I worked for a summer at a pie shop uh, just like one day a week before I moved back to Michigan. But I have, I think when people ask me the question, if you could have, if you could do it over again, what would you do differently? And I think if I could go back in time, I would like to have worked in more places in the kitchen. Um, but then again, I would have had to realize that I wanted to do what I'm doing earlier in my life. So it's kind of hard to look at it that way um, because I'm glad that I'm where I am at this particular like age and time in my life. But, uh, you know, it never hurts to have more and more experience. And I think especially in kitchens, you get the most out of that and you can just, you know, learn to be better and better that way. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Coming from a theater and dance background, do you bring any of the performing arts into your baking and how you do things with your business? I think the number one element from my theater days that I draw on all the time is improvisation. I did a lot of improv in college and even in just working with traditional plays and musicals, you're called to do that a lot in rehearsals and to me, that's like almost the way of life, being able to accept what's happening and go with it, which is essentially the fundamental concept of improv. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> I do that so much in my business and I get so much energy from it. And so that always makes me think of theater. And then like in a more kind of straightforward way, just being able to comfortably record a podcast or give a business speech or... Um, you know, just talk about my business in general, having my theater background and the confidence is, has, has really just been such an advantage for me. Oh, that's great. Also, you know, from, from doing the cooking show to even now with our Instagram presence, we're kind of, we have kind of a goofy approach to a lot of things and we're very lighthearted and there's dance videos. And so I've been able to take a lot of that and, and, morph it into my business and sort of the personality of, of sister pie. And that really comes from my theater background too. Well, on the improv, the, the whole the theory behind, I guess the whole something just happens to you. You, you kind of do that in your business with um, using only locally grown, locally sourced. I mean, you kind of know when the season's coming, but you don't, I think one of the things I read is you said something about, you don't expect uh, apple pie in April or May and don't expect uh, yeah. cherry pie in October. I mean, just, you're using locally sourced ingredients that, that you know are going to be there, but yet that's what you choose to use. It's a little bit of that improv. And then in your show as well, it was fun to watch. You could just see the whole break into a little move once in a while just to see you yeah. uh, let loose and uh, have fun. It was really entertaining. Oh, well, thank you. It was <laughs> I'm cool. i it still resonates these many years later. <laughs> so I love the concept behind the name Sister Pie and what went behind the name and how you came up with it. And for our listeners, would you mind describing what that process was and if there were any other front runners for the name as you were starting up? I very rarely ever have other front runners for any decision that I make, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, a blessing and a curse, I think. But when I was thinking about starting a business, and this was 
you know, during the time that I was working at Milk Bar and I had traveled back to Michigan a bit to explore some bakeries there, I, I kind of just knew that I wanted to make a, not even a bakery necessarily, like in my head, it was like a cafe, bakery, maybe market type situation. And so I didn't quite know, I didn't have any concept of what it would be called. I was kind of hoping that that would come to me. And when I realized kind of like the timeline that I had for moving home was right in the fall. And so I thought, well, I know how to make pie, or at least I can make pretty decent pie. So I could start my business by making pie in uh, November for Thanksgiving. And so as soon as pie came to mind, I thought about Sister Pie, which was this nickname that my sister and I started calling each other in college, actually. The other day she sent me an email, you know, when you're quarantined, you just look at all of your old emails for (laughs) lots and lots of (laughs) just like years back, 2010, 2007, yeah. whatever. Uh, it was pretty entertaining. Sometimes it's painful. But um, <laughs> she showed me one where she had referenced, she had called me Sister Pie in like this very casual way. And it was so weird to see it um, like that. But but basically it's a nickname we called each other, just a term of endearment, one of many, many family nicknames. And I decided to call the business Sister Pie, not only because of that, kind of adorable association, but because I think that, first of all, there's familiarity in the term sister. It makes you think of, of, of family, so like true familiarity, but also kind of this idea of what, what a, a women-run business looks like, what sisterhood looks like in business, and how sort of many different definitions and concepts of what sisterhood could mean, like, just in the sense that, like, it's not necessarily, like, my definition of sisterhood might not be the same as as another woman's definition of it, and and so kind of wanting to build a business that's open to, open to, to different interpretations of how the world works, and how can we sort of weave those together um, to make a great business that serves a lot of different people. Yeah, very neat. Kind of a long-winded answer, but <laughs> <laughs> no, you are. It is unique. You have uh, how many people do you have on staff? Typically, we have like sixteen people working for us. Um, right now, about thirteen of them are on temporary leave because of COVID nineteen. So I've got three of us working. Um, but yeah, for the past five years, it's, it's been between like 12 and 20 employees. And so usually averages right around 16, um, during like a a regular time of year. Yeah. Well, and that kind of moves us into what I want to talk about next, which was you're doing some, some great things, um, right now, um, that you probably never foresaw yourself doing with your business, um, your, uh, you started a general store, correct? Kind of, yeah. I guess you'd yeah. call it that. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've seen some other uh, restaurants really leveraging their purchasing power and and offering some things to people in that way. Could you tell us a little bit more about um, what you're doing now in in the wake of COVID nineteen to support your business, to support your community, to support uh, your employees that aren't working right now? When I was in Madison to do the Chef series was the week that Michigan had its first COVID-19 case. And so things were just like starting to change then. So I kind of look back at that time as 
you know, it's got a special significance to me now. Um, but anyway, so much has, has changed for us since then. And, and what happened first was we changed our business to do takeout only. And we did that for two weeks. And we were basically able to kind of run out the inventory that we had built up with our full staff. And an approach that I had with it was I want to get this bakery as safe. Like I want to be as safe as we can by keeping as few people in the bakery, both customers and employees. But I also don't want to waste any of this stuff, especially during a time when people want and need food. So the initial plan was just let's sell all the baked goods that we can. And while we're at it, let's sell some flour and eggs and things like that to, to neighbors. And so we were doing that for two weeks, but it was very crazy, <laughs> like um, just really long hours and felt like when we first opened again, and I knew it wasn't sustainable because I know my own limit. And if my limit is like up here, you know, I'm the business owner. I shouldn't have anyone else going above my limit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I decided to then kind of fully close as most restaurants and bakeries around me were doing, but I couldn't sit still. I couldn't sit still for too long and knowing that the neighborhood was still wanting groceries and knowing that I did have, like you mentioned, that kind of purchasing power and those connections, we started to run a kind of pre-order grocery store service. So it's still completely no contact and I'm down to three employees, one of them who's working from home and then two of us who are working in the store five days a week. And we send out a big, we send out a big grocery list every or two, uh, two times a week. And then we have the pickups two times a week. So we're, we've been doing about 100 grocery orders a week. And during that time, we've also tried to support our employees as best as we can. Um, I know a lot of them have been kind of on the pathway to unemployment. Some of them have already received unemployment. Some of them have had a lot of trouble figuring it out. Um, it's kind of impossible to talk to anyone at the agency. And so we did a GoFundMe that went really well toward the beginning of quarantine. Um, we set out to raise like $12,000, and I think we've raised now over 15000 That's so fantastic. So they all got over a paycheck's worth of, of funding through that. Um, we were able to do this kind of cool fundraiser where an artist designed or drew five different pies and they're for sale as prints. So all of the proceeds from that are going to the staff. And then of course we've, you know, allowed them to access the grocery program. So they're all getting groceries for free right now. And we're about to start talking to them tomorrow actually about kind of what's coming up next and starting to hire people back because we did just get approved the other day for the paycheck protection. Oh, congratulations. That's yeah, huge. very good. It's huge. It also feels a little scary as I, I've read other businesses have felt as well because there's this timeline that you have to use the money and I like I can't hire back sixteen people right now given how small the bakery is. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't even think sixteen of them would want to come back just yet. So right, that's, that's right. going to be tough, kind of figuring out how to use that money so that I can make sure it gets forgiven as a loan, but um, still be like super safe and cautious. Mm-hmm. But regardless, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity and I think it will definitely help us out a lot. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're, you're even in this time living, you know, your, your mission of your business, you know, you, you talked a lot about um, 
you know, what you're doing for your staff and others. And that's just really how you've been since day one in your business. Even though we are in this special time right now, you, you had your triple bottom line approach, which is um, unique in that it's, it's your people, your planet, and uh, your profit, right? Those three things that all fall into it. And you're, even though that was your business model before the whole COVID, you're certainly doing all those things now. And, and thank, thank you for doing that. It's just the people in our industry are hit so hard through all this right now. And it really is just an example that everyone can take and implement not only in their businesses, but in their own lives so that they can reflect what needs to be done to get through this all together. You know, I first heard about the triple bottom line concept, I think, from Avalon International Breads, which is a a bakery that's been around for over 20 years in Detroit, and then Zingerman's uh, Company of Businesses in Ann Arbor. And so that's kind of how I originally started to to think about that mission and really wanted to incorporate it into my business. And there's a whole organization of businesses in Detroit who, food businesses who work toward that mission. But I have to say, you know, all of the time I've had my business, it's, it's been something that you kind of strive for and you think about, but I, I never thought about it more than when I started to make decisions during this time because there have been moments that I've been more lost than ever before. And when I can go back to those three words and kind of, you know, line them up and say, okay, which one's most important right now? And how can I make sure that I'm thinking about all three and really, really challenge myself to use them? It's been a true guide for me. And, and that is incredible. Definitely. Definitely. Well, I would like to shift gears for a moment here and talk a little bit about the amazing things that your bakery is known for. And I'm curious, what are some of the things that sell out really quickly that people line up for and they absolutely have to have? Well, one of the first things to sell out every morning are our egg on top galettes. Ooh. It's a breakfast item. There's a recipe for one of them in the cookbook. It's basically pie crust uh, that we roll out into a circle and then we layer usually potatoes, but sometimes it could be a bean puree. And then uh, we'll fold up the edges of the crust and bake it almost all the way. Once we bake it almost all the way, we'll crack an egg on top of it and bake it the rest of the way with the egg. And it's just a really special breakfast treat. Road trip, Justin. (laughs) I'm telling you, man, let's get a bus and let's do it. (laughs) <laughs> you, put, you put, talk about the crust here being pretty important, but I, you, the crust has got to be one of the most important parts of, of all of your pie desserts or your pie creations, correct? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think it's what distinguishes one pie bakery from another pie bakery. So are you a, are you a vodka fan? Do you, do you go that route or anything or not really? I don't think we could afford that route. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I've never actually tried pie crust with vodka. We use apple cider vinegar which I learned from another bakery that I worked at. But when I was writing the cookbook, I realized that I should probably really understand why I was using it. And so I did some research and learned that the science behind it wasn't really proven. That that being that if you used apple cider vinegar, it would inhibit the gluten formation in the crust, which would lead to like a more tender crust. But um, the jury was kind of out on that. However, I like it too, because it provides this tangy flavor that kind of makes the the dough taste a little bit unique. And it's kind of one of those fun grandmother traditions that you just 
why would you stop, you know? Mm-hmm. So don't stop what works for you, right? Exactly. Yeah. We were talking about that earlier in the show, the vodka side of it, uh, because like you, I did a little research and uh, I guess I, I see what you're saying. It isn't conclusive either way. They talk about the same thing about the gluten. So, yeah. Uh, but I did read also that you let your dough rest for a minimum of two hours, which Before is lo- rolling it out. Right. Which is a lot longer than most recommend, right? Do you find that, is that another uh, trick to keep it tender or what's the science behind that? Or is that just a why stop doing it? Cause that's what you've always done thing. No, I definitely am intentional about that choice. It's because whenever I've rolled out dough that I made a half an hour ago or even an hour ago, it's not back to the same temperature as the butter was when I originally took it out. And you want to be working all the time with fully chilled dough or fully chilled ingredients, whether it's the butter coming out of the fridge to make the dough or whether you're taking the dough out to roll out the crust. You want to keep that butter as cold as possible so that there's no chance of it melting and becoming homogenous with the rest of the ingredients because cold butter bits are what lead to flaky crusts because those butter bits are bursting when they hit the hot oven. And so anything we can do to to encourage that or prevent the butter from melting is something that's important. But from an ease perspective... I would much rather be able to control the pie dough coming down in temperature from the coldest it can get than be working with a pie dough that's not quite cold enough. Um, It's just easier to work with cold dough. You know, it's a little bit more, I think just in the sense that it's not melting in your hand, but not only is the temperature good, but you've also had a dough that's kind of really solidified. Um, So even if you have some cracks in it. You can piece them back together without fear of melting the butter. And it just kind of creates a, a smoother, cleaner process. Okay. So the two hours is just a, a a good time to make sure that you know everything's at that same temperature again, that cool Pretty much. I mean, and Got I say it. that because, you know, if you're baking pie at home, you might have someone else you're living with who's open in your fridge a bunch of times. So the two hours is kind of like a solid guarantee that that dough is going to be rested and chilled okay perfect now we got that one down justin i'm taking notes the logic behind that we were talking about that in the beginning of the show as well just about the whole uh science of the crust so yeah Yeah, crust is everything it's it's your foundation (laughs) if if it's garbage then you just end up eating fillings or toppings and what's the point then yeah for sure it shouldn't just be a vehicle for the other ingredients no 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 it's part of it So are you a uh, are you a very neat and tidy type cook, or are your is your kitchen when you cook is it kind of a flow of ingredients all over? Or mm. Do you have a style in that way? Are you particular about it in your in your business? I'm definitely particular about cleanliness and organization in the business. I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm always the leading example of it, but <laughs> we do run a pretty tight ship, and I think mostly because we have so little space to work with, which is of course a relative, you know, it's relative to a lot of smaller bakeries that I've worked in. But, um, you know, when we have eight people in there baking, everyone needs to kind of be able to stay within their space. So that kind of requires organization and cleanliness. When I bake or cook at home, I very much try to follow the clean up as you work kind of mentality. But most of the time, I end up with just a total mess that I clean up all at once when whatever I'm making is in the oven. So it's kind of like 
I, I aim for this and respect, you know, the, that cleanliness is the best way to go about it, but I'm or not so much cleanliness as just like organization. Um, like, you know, I, I teach people to measure out everything first, but when I'm baking at home, I don't always do that. I don't feel so alone now. <laughs> Speaking of teaching, you've offered some classes in the past, correct? Yeah. What does that program look like and what were some of the goals and motivations for offering them? So we've been teaching the classes since the winter of 2016 and they've been extremely popular. We started off by doing just a pie dough class that I would teach and then in the past couple of years we've added a hand pie class and most recently a breakfast class where we make scones and the aforementioned galettes. Uh, the classes are so popular that people like get on the computer, you know, right when they go on sale and they go, they sell out within like 20 minutes. And it's, it's definitely a demand that we can't fully reach, but the classes have eight people in them. It's then me and an assistant and it's two hours long. And we try to focus on not doing too much so that we can really spend a lot of time talking about it and, and for them to ask questions for example, in the pie dough class, I show them how to make pie dough. Then they get to get hands-on and make pie dough themselves that they take home. And then we also learn how to roll out and crimp and blind bake and all that. And so it's been a really great experience for us. I think it's, it's fulfilling for everyone involved. It's a kind of nice way for us to make money that doesn't involve as many staff members or as many ingredients I mean, it's more of an experiential offering. And as for the future, I think our biggest goal right now is just being able to meet that demand. Um, we, we could teach so many more classes. We want them to stay kind of intimate, you know, uh, but we just, we need to have a little bit more space and time to be able to do it. So, you know, before all of this coronavirus stuff started going down, we had been kind of speedily working on a, an expansion um, that now has kind of been put on hold while we just scramble to figure out what to do in the present. Mm -hmm. um, but, but a classroom or two was a significant part of that expansion. I genuinely appreciate that about businesses and chefs who want to uh, make their skills available to the public. Because mm. it kind of grinds my gears when, when you hear a chef say, Oh, I could tell you the secret recipe, but then I'd have to kill you. You know, <laughs> that's just, yeah. yeah, I'm never going to learn how to make what you do at home. It's, I can't, I can't duplicate it, but I, I can, I can take that experience that I learned and enhance my cooking at home. It's kind of silly to think that I could take business from, from a restaurant because I've mastered their, their recipes. It's, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. People shouldn't have to fear sharing their expertise because when I want to experience the real deal, I'm going to go to that restaurant. No, I appreciate that. I, I think, you know, one of, our, one of our main goals is to be accessible to people. And I think we interpret that in a lot of different ways, but accessible and transparent, actually. And so sharing recipes, sharing skills and techniques is one of those. And I think, you know, coming from my background with no culinary education, very little experience, I feel, I feel honored that people would even want to learn from me. So <laughs> I'm happy to share it. Um, and I know how much that meant to me when people were willing to share with me when I was a younger cook. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Working in a limited space, are there any tips or tricks that you've picked up over the years that have helped make your job just a, a little bit easier? You know, maybe it's a favorite utensil or a special technique that helps speed along your process. Or a tool that you developed or made on your own to work. Or... I mean, we have a lot of systems at Sister Pie that help us stay organized and, and kind of streamlined. Um, and, you know, that's everything from figuring out how to get four people to work on one thing so that it goes faster, but also like extremely organized prep lists on the fridge, et cetera. And I think even just, I worked at a pie shop in Brooklyn and they wrote their prep lists like right on the, the refrigerator, you know, on the refrigerator doors. They didn't, and then they just erased it every day. Like that was like mind blowing to me. And so, <laughs> you know, that's something that, that we do. Um, I think one of my favorite, like one of my little tools that I use that makes me feel always like a, like a baking superstar is just like a little offset spatula. You know, it's like one of those things that I can kind of use for everything. And I like how there's so many different recipes that we've developed that, that we use them for. Um, and that feels kind of like one of our, not a, not a secret weapon, but it's kind of the one thing I, I think everyone should have at home, especially if they're baking out of the sister pie cookbook. Offset spatula, adding that to mm -hmm. my shopping list right now. All right. The, the small kind, not the really okay, large the kind, small. but they're really, they're like, well, they're like six, six to seven inches All long, right. I would say. One of the things you do is, uh, that's kind of a neat concept, is we all talk about paying it forward, mm. but you've taken that a little bit and you have a pie it forward in your, in your shop. Can you talk about that a little bit? That's kind of an, an interesting little thing that you do there. Yeah. Pie it forward is something that we started back in 2015. So close to when the, the bakery itself opened. It was inspired by a pizza place in Philly that would put post-it notes on their wall when customers wanted to buy a slice of pie for, I think there was like maybe a large homeless population around that pizza shop. Um, and so we were inspired by that and just thought, you know, again, going back to this idea of wanting to make our bakery accessible, we thought, we kind of thought of it even beyond financial accessibility, but accessibility in a lot of different ways, which I think is important, especially when you are a, a new business entering a city like Detroit with a lot of history that is complicated and, and you want to make sure that you are first and foremost being welcoming and respectful of, of the communities around you. And so that's kind of how Pie It Forward came to be. We, a customer can come in and pre-buy a slice of pie for someone else but you know, it's no one in particular. You just buy the slice of pie and put your name on this piece of paper. We hang it on the wall, and then anyone can come in. <clears throat> anyone can come in and use it. So it's whether it could be that you, you know, can't afford pie in your budget right now, or that you've never tried a sweet beet pie before and you're a little bit nervous, and so you don't want to spend four bucks on it, or if you just, you know, forgot your wallet at home. It's just a way to make sure that there's always pie there for everybody. And it kind of, you know, encourages the spirit of, of generosity and accessibility. And it's something that I think we thought we would just do for a holiday season and it hasn't left. And honestly, when people first found out that, you know, we were going to be going through financial hardship because of coronavirus, that was that was one of the first things people did was just buy tons of pie forwards online to kind of help us out. And so now we have walls covered with them. Huh. Uh, man, I love that. That's when I cool. learned about that, I thought that was, that was really neat that you did that. And 
uh, I can see it, someone coming in and, and like you said, understanding maybe a, a certain type of pie might be a little bit off of their normal route. So they might just decide that's a, and that, what a neat way just to be friendly towards one another. Right. I think yeah. that's a great thing to do. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Lisa, I've got a really difficult question for you now. What is one of the best things that you have ever made? Oh, wow. It could be something when, when you were a child, something you cooked last week, anything. Well, and yeah. maybe maybe not the top thing, your favorite thing, but your, your top three things. I mean, I guess my answer might just be my favorite pie flavor, which is cranberry crumble. It was one of the very first recipes that I created for Sister Pie. And it's, um, it's just tart Michigan cranberries. Half of them are cooked down into a compote with orange and light brown sugar. Half of them are mixed in whole with some grated pear. It's layered into our all butter flaky crust and then it's topped with an oat crumble. And we make it around the holidays and it's just so comforting, but also tart. And for me, that's kind of like the ultimate dessert, something that has like a really bright flavor um, with a little sweetness. Mm, love it. Well, it sounds delicious. And my first thought was, I want to order one, but we didn't talk. Are you planning on doing any online? Do you ship your pies anywhere or are you just a local, just staying local? <laughs> yeah, we don't plan on shipping anywhere. That's kind of been the one thing that I've never, it's like shipping and multiple locations is kind of what I'm not interested in. Um, mostly because there's just so much else I, I want to do here in Detroit yeah. and with my business that yeah. that's just not where my focus is. Yeah, well, quality standards get increasingly difficult to meet the larger an operation grows. For me, it's just a lot more special when a, when a place can retain their destination status. So if you really want to experience the restaurant, you have to go there. Absolutely, yeah. All right, and by contrast, what was the least favorite thing that you have ever made? Oof. Um, I feel like this was recent. I mean, recently we tried to make this like kind of like this oatmeal pie with apricots and chamomile tea. And uh, the texture we just couldn't get right. It was like we kept baking like an oatmeal cookie essentially uh -huh. in a pie, but it was trying to be like more of a gooey oatmeal pie, which is a style of pie. I just haven't been able to perfect it yet. So it was one of those things where you taste it and you're just like, nope, this doesn't make any sense. I'm going <laughs> to table this for a couple of years. <laughs> so was it just the texture that threw it off? Yeah, like it wasn't, it was like a cookie pie as opposed to like a gooey, creamy pie. Okay, I think uh, it's time to wrap things up here today. Uh, thank you, Lisa. This has been a, a lot of fun talking to you today. Uh, thank you so much for that. I knew this one would be a lot of fun. And uh, very interesting. I, I hope for our, our listeners today, I hope this was a, a little insight into the world of uh, commercial food service and how someone with uh, a lot of inspiration, passion, and a tenacious attitude uh, built a thriving business that she gets to work in every day and it gives back to the community that she works in, her people, and, and also has the other P involved there, which is profit, I guess, right? We all need <laughs> that. Um, but thank you again for, for joining us here today. It was, it was a lot of fun getting to hear about you and your business and all the great things you're doing. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Any last words or any advice that you might have or anything from the show for our listeners today to leave us with? Getting feedback from your customers, meaning the people who are in closest proximity to your business, 
So maybe that's not always your customers, but interacting with your neighbors and telling them what you're doing, introducing them to what you're doing, asking them what they need is part of, you know, being a community member and businesses need to be community members right now and, and always. And so having that communication and, and going out there and asking questions and making connections before making major business decisions is my advice because it's the people who are going to be in closest proximity to you who are going to support you during tough times and who are going to lift you up during great times too. And so if you can make them part of your business and really serve them and their needs, then you're going to be in good shape. Ooh, that's solid. That's great advice. Yeah. Very good to hear. Feels very relevant right now. (laughs) For sure. Absolutely. And I know all of us, a lot of us, we have our careers and things we've heard from others along the way or had a mentor or someone that we've looked up to and uh, maybe they have a quote or something. Do you have any quotes or anything that inspire or drive you? It's something that's memorable to you. Yeah. About a year ago, I picked up a book called Say What You Mean by the author Oren J. Sofer. It's a book on nonviolent communication, which was originally started by a man named Marshall Rosenberg, who actually uh, was born in Detroit. But it's a type of communication that is really empathy-based, and it's something that I'm trying to incorporate into Sister Pie and the way that we communicate with each other. And there's a quote from from his book that really helps me personally as a business owner and as a human, which is, if we become fixated on a plan, we lose touch with the moment. When that happens, we lose access to wisdom. That says a lot. That's a good way to live right there. Yeah, definitely. Very nice. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Uh, Justin, any last words from you today? Of course, I would like to remind everybody to please hit that subscribe button. Never miss a moment with a chef or food service industry expert. And if you like what we're doing, why not share that with a friend? Thank you, Justin. And on that note, if uh, anyone out there has anything they'd like to see covered on the show or ideas that they'd like to see discussed, please uh, visit us at valrathfoodservice.com slash the feed. And as always, I'll leave you uh, with my quote. Don't worry about the other guy. Just do what you do best and no one's going to beat you. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time, take care.